Welcome everybody to our first VCAP 6 DCV design uh, session uh, as part of the Brown Bag EMEA. Today uh, we're hosting two VCDXs, Jason Grierson and Greg Robertson. They're going to co-present and you know this is a, a great way to start a series. Uh, of course this is a uh, we are a, a global organization you can use the at the Brown Bag uh, I'd be right back last time. I'd be right back in me hashtags to talk to us, but we all share one Twitter hashtag, uh, hashtag be brown bag. Uh, this particular series will be done on Tuesdays. It will be done in EMEA time. It is uh, depending on the presenters' times, so it may not always be at 7 p.m. Uh, British Standard Time. Uh, with that, uh, my guests, Jason, my presenters, Jason and Greg, do you want to say something about you before we hand over control? Um, sure. You want me to go first? Go, go for it. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I'm Jason Grierson. Uh, I've been in the IT field for about 14, 15 years now. Uh, kind of done a, a mixed bag of tricks through my career. So started with the Microsoft line of certifications and that sort of stuff, and then uh, jumped into VMware around version two, 2.5. So I, uh, the first time I kind of saw that VMotion was a magical moment for me, and uh, I ran down that train ever since. Um, about, I guess it's been about a year ago now since I got my VCDX, and prior to that, I spent about a year, year and a half working on my DCA and my DCD, uh, and primarily really focused on, on the DCD story, which is why I wanted to help out with this, um, because I know a lot of people struggle with it, and, and that shift between the, the DCA and the DCD. So, yeah, that's a little bit about myself. I remember that you did that awesome web page uh, with the tool for the version 5, virtualtears.net, so... Yeah, I'm working on a, a new version as well. Uh, I just haven't written uh, the six and seen the stuff outside of the beta, so I'm going to go and write it shortly, and then I'm I'm going to be I've been loosely working on it, so I'm hopefully going to have an updated version for you guys in the next few months. Awesome, thank you. And Greg. Greg, if you're speaking, you're on mute. I know that you had to go through the phone. Uh, Jason, I'm going to make you presenter right now. Sure. So, uh, so hopefully, uh, Greg's uh, connection uh, at the hotel there comes through for him, uh, and he can he can jump in on the later half because I uh, my slide deck only goes so far down the objective 1.1 because it is a larger section. So, uh, we'll drive up to that part, um, and then after that, we can kind of wing it, or hopefully, Greg jumps on and can complete it for us. Um, so with that said, I guess we'll, we'll jump in. So objective 1.1 of the, of the DCD um, is gather and analyze business requirements. Um, so what we kind of wanted to go over here, um, you know, is I want to do a quick recap of what the, the DCD is, is going to expect of you. Uh, so what, what do you expect and how do we score points on it? Because uh, I think that's a section that um, isn't really talked about enough. So when people, you know, do go into this exam, they don't really have a great uh, understanding of what they're going to see. So it kind of it kind of gives them a bit of a shock and awe when they when they sit down the first time and write it. So we'll go over that really quickly, uh, and then we're going to be wor uh, working through the sections of 1.1, which is uh, associating a stakeholder with information that needs to be collected, uh, utilize inventory and assessment data from uh, current inventory to define a baseline analyze the customer interview, uh, and so on and so on. We're going to break these sections down. Um, and not only are we going to break them down, I'm, I'm going to try and give use case examples or, or what the uh, exam will kind of um, t 
test you on with that. So something I struggled with when I wrote the DCD uh, was I kind of went through all, the, all this study material and I really didn't extrapolate how, it, how the exam's gonna ask me on that. Um, so that's something I wanna focus on because uh, it, the blueprint gives you an extremely good baseline for the proper design methodology that VMware wants you to go through. And it's not just VMware. You're, you're gonna see this design uh, methodology throughout um, any, like lots of different places. Uh, project managers use it, other architects use it. Um, so you know, uh, you're gonna see it a lot. So it gives you a really good baseline, but what I really wanna do is, is kind of extrapolate how the exam is going to hit you on that um, because it, this blueprint lays the groundwork for the VCX as well. So you're going to see a lot of correlation there. Uh, and then at the end, uh, how does that apply to the exam? I have I actually merged this into each one of the sections um, itself. So um, at the end is kind of just a, a wrap up and kind of just a links back to the slides and, and that sort of stuff. So jumping into the uh, the design overview. So what is what is the DCD6 uh, or the VCAP DCV design? Um, uh, can, like uh, consist of, and that's it's uh, the exam is 175 minutes, so that's 2.9 hours or just under three hours. Uh, it's now only 18 questions. Uh, a lot of people will think, oh, like you know, 18 questions, no problem. But trust me, those will be the <laughs> the most grueling three hours and 18 questions, uh, you know, of your life. Like it's it, it will be an intensive exam, and, and time is still um, of the essence. So what that breaks down to is you're looking at 9.7 minutes per question. Um, uh, so what I usually recommend, uh, or this, the strategy I take on this exam, is um, the exam does give you the capability to skip over questions and come back to them. I, I primarily focus on getting all the design uh, pieces done first, like the actual dragon, like the, you know, like on, on the example on the right here. Um, I, I go and do all the design questions because they're, they're worth a lot of points, and then I double back to the, to the drag and drop. Um, so the passing score is 300. And uh, you know, and the format is a drag and drop and design tool. So your your two questions you're only going to see is you're going to see uh, a drag and drop like this, which we're going to get into shortly, um, and then you're going to see like a full on kind of like design visio kind of a canvas where you can you can drag things around and and uh, they're going to ask you to extrapolate requirements and things of that nature and build a, and build a design. Uh, so how does one score points? Uh, so the drag and drop. There's uh, two ways to score points. The, the first way is each source button will be worth one point. So you can drag these, um, you know, you're gonna have a, a, a list of requirements uh, or other things they're gonna ask you and then you have to drag them over to the right hand section and have them snap into these categories. So in, in this example, zero 01 and zero 04 was in availability and zero 02, zero 03 and zero 05 is in manageability. Um, so each one of these are worth one point and as you can see, you can score up to nine points and sometimes the questions will allow you to kind of get halves and other times it's an all or nothing. Um, the second way is each target is an all or nothing like I was talking about where um, they want you just to score, they want you to have all these in, in the right categories. Um, so that's kind of how the drag and drop is scored um, and, these, and these can vary. As you can see, there's nine points on this one and there's uh, three to four points on this one. So typically most questions are gonna be, you know, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, um, I guess you could say between four and 10 points. I'm not sure what the exact metrics are, but um, uh, you can't, you're gonna score a couple points per question there. So the next type of um, question you're gonna get is, is a design. So the design tool is a big white open canvas uh, with usually like a, a kind of little drop down, drop down button on the bottom there that allows you to select items you can move onto the canvas uh, and connect things and drop things and you can, and you can delete things and, and break connections. Um, so this is, a, this is how it is, and how you get marked on this is every single piece of, or every item that is put onto the design canvas is worth 
uh, a certain amount of points. So you can actually see the total score breakdown on the right here. So RDM is worth four to four if you put four of them on there and, and so on. So it goes and calculates all your connections and, and those sorts of things. Um, now, the, there is ways you can lose points. So obviously, if there's something missing, you're going to lose a point, or you get deducted uh, a few points or a point per at you know, per device that isn't needed. So if you're putting in extra stuff that isn't required in the, in the design, you're going to lose points there as well. Um, so I, I put a heavy emphasis on this, so I encourage everyone to, to make sure they take their time on these design questions because they are worth a lot of points. Um, you know, some, some even say this is kind of like a make or break point on the, on the exam. Also, there is a master design question that is, is probably the single biggest question worth the most points, so definitely make sure that you allocate enough time for that. Um, with that in mind, uh, you know, this is all this information, this isn't secret NDA-breaking stuff that, that I've put in here. Uh, this is all from Jordan Roth's blog, who um, works on the education team. So I, I highly encourage anyone who's writing the, the DCD to, to go and visit his blog. He talks uh, a much, much more in detail about this subject matter and, and how everything breaks down and, and kind of just pulls the clouds away and, uh, or the veil away and shows you how it works under, under the hood. So with that in mind, we're going to jump right in. So with the, uh, with the, the first point in Objective 1.1, which is associate a stakeholder with, with information that needs to be collected. So, so what does this really mean? So these are, these are people or roles that you're going to need to talk to to collect data to shape your, your requirements, constraints, uh, assumptions, and risks. Uh, that's eventually going to lead to, to uh, a conceptual design. So when you're first kind of starting a project, you're going to need to talk to certain people, and you're slowly going to ask certain questions um, and pull information out, uh, and then that's going to that's going to shape things. Um, so when I first when you first kind of read this or when I study it, it it's kind of like a common sense section. Uh, people are like, "Well, let's you know, there's not much to that," but it's really kind of um, you know knowing who to talk to and, and how to pull those requirements out, and and I really emphasis on the requirements, constraints, assumptions, and risks. Because um, that's really what that's uh, that's really what it's going to burrow down to, especially when we get into the later sections as well. Um, this will also map to availability, manageability, performance, recoverability, and security, or AMPRS. You sometimes may see a cost at the end of one of those as well. Um, so as we work the chapters, and we'll talk about it, uh, and as you get. Uh, other people do presentations on the other objectives in the DCD, um, you're going to see these kind of marry together a bit. Um, uh, and especially if you pass your DCD and move on to the VCDX, this is a huge critical part uh, of your design uh, with the VCDX, is making sure that your, your requirements and constraints also marry up to the availability, manageability, performance, recoverability, and security aspects from your stakeholders' requirements. Um, so moving on, so what does this look like? So who do we talk to? Um, so these are kind of some standard rules of, of people that we, you know, we would typically talk to or have in meetings uh, when you're when you're pulling out these requirements um, that are going to help shape your conceptual design, uh, which is you know an IT director, network engineer, storage engineer. You'll have a computer, a virtual uh, infrastructure engineer sometimes, uh, CEOs, CFOs, CTOs. Uh, managers of all walks of life, um, you know, engineers, or even sometimes the end users will, um, will, will be in there. They'll have requirements from an end user's perspective. Um, so these are all roles that can come up um, and, and people you can talk to to help shape that uh, from, from a design aspect. Uh, so again, this kind of this kind of leans a little bit more on the on the on the VCDX kind of side. When you, if you're really kind of building a design, or you're sitting down with a customer and, and, and going through this design process with them, 
Um, so what, what does that look like from a from a from this exam's perspective? So what they're what they're going to look for, um, or how this is going to play in, is you, you're probably going to see this in possibly some drag and drop scenarios, um, and it's also going to play in the design tool. And, and how that works is in, in a drag and drop scenario, they may have a question where they're going to ask you things like uh, pull out the required rules that you need to talk to, or or these users uh, or these specific rules have requirements, um, and that will play into later chapters, like when we get into the requirements, constraints, and assumptions and risks. Um, these rules really kind of marry together with those, and and that's kind of like what you'll see questions around. It's, they're going to be looking at which rules you talk to and how do you pull the requirements out of them. So this is a very basic question. Essentially, it's a scenario where you know you've been hired as a consultant for Cyro Sports Company. You're building a new virtual data center. After a quick conversation with the company, appears the scope of the project will revolve around a new storage compute networking. Which stakeholders should be considered for the first planning meeting? So. Um, this is just a made-up question that I, I just did this for this presentation just to get the kind of the point across. So, you know, in a drag-and-drop scenario, you would drag your requirements over to the required rule. Um, really simple there. So moving on to the next, the next category, which is utilize inventory and assessment data for a current environment to define a baseline st uh, state. So, you know, what does, so what does this mean? Uh, what does the customer have and how do we find it? So once you sit down and kind of talk to um, that first stage and talk to all your key stakeholders and get the information out of them, the next step is what do they currently have in the environment? Now sometimes this information is readily available, other times it's not. Um, sometimes the stakeholders will have a really good idea of what is there, uh, other times they won't. Um, so you know, if, if you're designing some, a new infrastructure or a new project for a company, um, you know, you need to know what's there because, and also if you're if you're going on to your VCDX um, defense uh, or, or planning to write a design for that, um, this is a critical point because if you design a new infrastructure of you know seven servers and this much you know compute and memory and networking and storage, um, they're going to ask you, well, where did those metrics come from? Like, how how did you know it was seven seven servers? How did you know the performance is going to hold up? How did you know that how the availability is going to hold up? That all comes from um, a state analysis or a current state analysis document. Um, so you need to be able to have what they have there now so that you can know their their performance. So um, you know the performance and the requirements and things of that nature, so that you can you can actually properly design the new infrastructure and give them you know enough capacity and, and that sort of stuff and defend it um, because it's easy enough to build something out, but it's what you'll find is even if you go into a customer and you design something for them and they come back to you three years later and management shifted or employees shifted and they said, well, why was this built this way? This is really crucial in the documentation so you could say this is why we gave you this many servers or built it this way. It's validation on, on your design. It's a way to back up your, it's the proof in the pudding. So how do we find this information? Um, so there's a couple different ways. So uh, you could do a state analysis. Uh, um, there's a couple different tools we can use for that. Um, sometimes companies will have a current inventory, so they'll have, they'll have this information really available for you. Um, you can review documentation that they supply for you, uh, and you can interview stakeholders in the project, which uh, we did previously. So sometimes they'll have that information, other times not. So, so what are two of the, the main tools that I typically see um, people using for this if they don't have a current state analysis, or maybe um, they have half of it or an inventory document, but it's really not supplying you with the information you, you need, um, is the VMware Capacity Planner is a very good tool. 
uh, you can have a VMware partner come in and they run this report and it, it does a, a state analysis and it tracks all the CPU usage, disk usage, memory, all that, all that good stuff and it spits out a report that tells you what's there, what's recommended, how to size it, and that sort of stuff. So it really kind of gives you the meat and potatoes of all the information you would really need to help design um, further in the project, uh, not only at a conceptual level, but more at a logical level or a physical design level. Um, so that, so this, you know, that report is going to be really critical in those in those two phases later on in in the project. Um, another tool I've used in the past a lot is a micro, is the Microsoft Map tool. Uh, it's free. It's really easy to use, and it really kind of gives uh, the same kind of information back. Um, so that's kind of just something handy to keep in your side pocket. I, I've seen other people use. PowerShell scripts, uh, Perfmon, uh, WMIs, lots of different ways to achieve this. Realistically, what you're looking for um, is you want to see uh, what the customer has and what their load is, um, and that's kind of information for, from a sizing perspective. Um, so, uh, you know, moving on, so an example of this would be, uh, you know, where are you going to see this on the exam? So this is most likely going to come up as information uh, as to help you pull up requirements in the design tool. Um, this could be like, uh, and they'll sometimes give you a partial state analysis or a full state analysis. So an example of this would be, uh, this is actually taken from the, one of the mock design questions that they give, they gave us, uh, for the DCD defense, um, that we would have to design again. So this is, this is all public information. It's all, you know, they don't, they don't use this in the VCDX defense anymore. Um, but so they give you a couple bullet points and then they kind of give you a very small, loose, uh, state analysis of what's currently there. Um, so this is a good design scenario if you want to work through this. Um, you know, so they give you the client has engaged a VMware partner to run a capacity planner, and on the right we have the output. Uh, client is a service provider that wants to set up a dedicated management cluster for internal use. Uh, they want to reduce hardware footprint and reduce license costs of Oracle and IBM WebSphere. Design um, for possible multi-site scenario with VR capabilities. Select the appropriate rate levels design a fault-tolerant network, and the client has an existing vSphere solution that they would like to leverage. Um, so this is a really good example of what the exam might ask of you, um, possibly through a drag and drop, more than likely through a design tool, is they're going to give you a series of information, and you're going to need to pull out the requirements, constraints, risks, um, or, or other information based off of state analysis to help you design. Um, so another example of this might be they could give you something, uh, whoops, uh, let's go back to the previous slide. Uh, they might give you like the little picture here on the right and say we want a cluster that has n plus three but we require n plus two during maintenance periods or something like that. Um, so they're going to be looking for you to have the skills to extrapolate that information um, and do that sort of thing. So, so that's how this chapter is kind of going to look on the exam. Um, moving on. So, Analyze customer interview data to explicitly define customer objectives for uh, conceptual design. Um, so kind of how we were discussing earlier, this, this is all, if you were to look at a giant flowchart, this whole process is kind of one giant flowchart that's going to lead to the next thing and the next thing. Um, so what this chapter is talking about is, um, you know, once we have all that interview data, um, how do we take all this and, and transfer it into a conceptual design? So things that we're going to look at is goals, uh, scope, uh, requirements, constraints, assumptions, and risks. Um, so once we get all that information from interviewing the stakeholders, we're going to we're going to pull all that stuff out, 
and that's really going to help drive uh, a conceptual design. Now, requirements does break down into two pieces. It does break down into functional requirements and non-functional requirements. Um, we'll talk more about that in, in section 2.1 because um, it's a little bit of a deeper topic and you know a lot of people get confused between these two. Uh, essentially, kind of a Coles Notes version, a non-functional requirement is, uh, think of it as a requirement kind of with a constraint. So, um, you know, a straightforward requirement would be, um, I need an exchange server. Uh, you know, a non-functional requirement would be, I need an exchange server that can handle 500 emails per minute or something like that. It has an additional constraint on that requirement. Um, but in later sections, we'll, we'll delve into that more. The, the main ones we want to focus on is just goals, um, you know, scope, requirement, constraints, assumptions, and risk. And um, the important part of this, if you're in, a, in a, real, a real world scenario where you're designing for your own, your own company or you're working for a consultant company designing, is you know, the scope's really important and, and most, most um, contractors or consulting companies will, will you know, they'll define the scope very quickly because it, it, it kind of drills down on how they're going to bill and what's in a scope and what's out of scope because a project can, can quickly run off the scales if that's not established. Um, and then the requirements, constraints, assumptions, and risks, uh, you know, that's all going to shape things as well. Um, and then obviously the customer is going to have, uh, you know, goals, um, you know, out of those, out of those pieces that you're going to, you're going to want to focus on. And then at the end here, I have an example of what a, a conceptual design can look like. A conceptual design can look um, a lot of different ways. This is just one example. Um, so once you have that information, you'd, you'd be able to build this. Um, one side note is typically in the design tool, um, you're probably going to more than likely be working uh, at a conceptual design level or a logical design level. Um, it's been my experience that it's, from, a, from the design tools perspective, it's a little too hard to do a physical design, and the reason for that is, you know, it's, it's hard to run every line to where everything's going to plug in and get all in that nitty-gritty in, in detail. Um, so in most cases, you're probably going to be looking at a conceptual or logical design. Uh, analyze customer interview data to explicitly define customer objectives for uh, a conceptual design. So uh, this is kind of where my slide decks uh, I, I got worked up to and, and uh, didn't have time to finish the decks out. Um, but so an example of this would be, uh, or how this works in the exam, would be um, really kind of hammering home uh, the requirements, constraints, assumptions, and risks. Um, and, and pulling them out of um, an example. So, and, and this is kind of mirroring the, the first few pieces together here. So, they're like an example of a question would be, um, they're gonna give you an example, like you have been hired by Zyro Sports as a virtualization consultant to design their, virtu their new virtualization project in a new data center. After interviewing the key stakeholders, the following information was provided. Now, I didn't get a chance to finish this example. Um, so, they're gonna say, they'll give you a snippet from you know, a bunch of different stakeholders. So the IT director will give you some requirements and or constraints or what's, what his problems are. The CFO will give you the same kind of a spiel. And, you know, you're, you're going to have that from a, a, a number of different um, stakeholders. And then they're going to give you um, a bunch of questions. Like they're going to say, you know, um, break these out based off requirements, constraints, consumptions, and risk, and they'll give you examples. Um, I wanted to kind of build this one out. I don't have a, a great example at my uh, at my ready here, but it's going to marry the, the first few chapters that we talked about here together. So you're going to be having those stakeholders. They're going to be giving you some form of information. 
going to extrapolate the requirements, constraints, and risks, and you're going to want to categorize them accordingly based off the question. Um, Don't worry, Jason. This, at some at some point, we Greg is already on the line, and at some point oh, we'll be able to open his presentation. Maybe we can review the examples then. Perfect. Yeah. So um, that's kind of what I had up to up to that. So that's about the halfway point. So uh, if Greg's jumped back on, do you want to want me to stop sharing briefly and send me the email? You should have the email you. now. Go ahead and check your inbox if you can. If you want to stop presenting while you check that, that's fine. Otherwise, we'll just see you. <laughs> yeah. Bear with me for one second. Let me. Come on. And Greg, just confirming that you're on the phone. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> awesome. You ever have to do a presentation blind? Um, yeah, a few times, but <laughs> yeah, this, this is it's unusual there. <laughs> All right, so I got the presentation up. Let me start it up here. Um, slideshow from the beginning. Uh, can people see my screen now? Yes, that's a very nice yeah. presentation there. Hey, Mika. Perfect. Yeah, so we're on the we're on, we're on the title page here, um, and let me just get past that. Yeah, uh, so this not is, to worry. No time to waste there. Yeah. So this is your introduction, <laughs> your introduction page. You might as well introduce yourself, Greg. Hey. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, Hi, I'm the, I'm the guy that was late. Uh, so I'm Greg, UCDX205, MMV Brownback host, communities moderator, V expert for a number of years, a blog from the Safa Geeks at Project UK, and I tweet from at Greg Robertson5. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know, I, I don't want to cover off too much of what Jason did, but I mean, I, I, this is what I covered off. So associating a stakeholder with the information that needs to be collected. So, um, yeah, as I kind of said in here, this is down to the questions you need to ask and also who you need to ask these questions to. Um, these are the ones you're going to ask during the design workshop. Um, yeah, I've kind of said it depends on if you want one big one where people come to and go at certain points, or multiple ones where you speak to different business unit teams. Um, I personally like to try bring in the following different people um, and then yeah, try and speak to all of them and then kind of break off from there. So normally you want to speak to the administrators, the hardware administrators, backup, storage, um, desktop OS guys, the security officers, the project sponsors. And then one I always find quite helpful is to always speak to the end users or the developers or the help desk personnel um, because these guys are normally the people who are going to tell you what's, what's in the shadows. So, you know, they'll come in and they'll tell you what the problems are, uh, is there any impact, and, not, and sometimes they are negative, but sometimes it's a good way of finding out information. Um, so these, these good discussions, as I say, also easy to have in the hallway over a coffee, um, and they've alerted me to unknown risks that would have severely imp impacted my design and delivery if I hadn't speak, spoken to these people. Um, if you go to the next slide, Jason. I'm going to yeah. do this a bit quickly because I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah kind of utilize customer inventory. Um, so yeah, this is normally uh, this kind of different ways you want to do this. So you you can identify virtualizing candidates and applications. So as Jason covered off, you know you, you would use certain tools like Capacity Planner. Um, you can use existing documentation and a number of other pieces. 
Normally what you would do if you're doing it through the uh, capacity planner is you would capture a baseline performance metric, including the average and peak load, uh, because you want to kind of run this for hopefully quite a number of weeks to be able to get a good understanding of yeah, where, when are the peaks, are they doing month-end runs, what's the peak workload, what's the requirements of it if you're doing a migration. Um, this would feed into your capacity requirements, also into your consolidation ratios, and you can also use it later for comparison purposes. So what a lot of states say is they say, well, we wanted, um, they, want, they, you know, they, want, they want to be able to do the, t the um, the whole project and then be able to compare it. So um, that normally works out pretty well. It's also normally identify, you want to try to identify unique dependencies. So some, every customer has their, their strange dependency that they're looking for, if it's an old system, if it's some kind of weird networking piece, if it's a security requirement, they always have unusual requirements but as well as dependencies. Um, and that kind of comes into Jason's mentioning of non-functional requirements. Um, you've got to identify reusable hardware for the design. So again, coming to non-functional requirements of do you have to reuse hardware, what's that? And then the non-functional can also come into a constraint. If you have to reuse that, is that going to be possible? And then some or all of these items that you've pulled in will normally produce different design decisions slash requirements, constraints, etc., and possibly even a risk. Um, yeah, so define customer priorities for defined objectives. So my perspective on it, um, yeah, as I said, kind of straightforward. From the design workshops and interviews, you've collected what their objectives are, not ensured from the workshops that there are no obvious conflicts of people's plans. Um, for the solution, so you normally will do a, um, like a requirements traceability matrix or even just a requirements workbook to work out um, and then be able to then say, okay, actually, you know, this person's asked for this, but this person's asked for this, there's a conflict there. But um, I've kind of given an example, so normal customer's objective, um, you know, they would come in and say they want a virtual infrastructure capable of supporting Consolidated countries, let's use an example, had to be highly available, disaster recoverable, standardized infrastructure, simplified um, and improved support model. So you know, that, that's taking down management overhead. Uh, DR is kind of a functional, a non functional requirement as well as a, a constraint. You know, they want DR with uh, VMware, SRM, and EMC recover points. Um, so that's a constraint that you need to have to use uh, technologies they've already chosen. Um, obviously, I work for Dell EMC, so Dell EMC, a couple of points, nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> provide virtual infrastructure that can provide 99% availability or higher. So normally you come in, you want to try and work out what the availability is, and then I won't go through all of these, but that's, that's the kind of pieces you're looking at. You also want to look at growth of virtual machines and different pieces like that and for how long. Um, so that's normally how you start picking up a lot of objectives. Um, if you go to the next slide, Jason. So yeah, um, this is kind of mapping the previous one and the, the different pieces. So ensure A and PRS considerations are applied. Um, so I quite, I quite like that this is in here now because 
it wasn't in um, previous pieces and um, as Jason can also attribute to, it's really important uh, pillars for the, the VCDX. So even though the, it's good that they've brought this into the DCD now because I think it's quite important. It's something I do in all of my designs. Um, so for the requirements, um, normally what I do, kind of using the same examples as I had earlier, uh, you, what, what you're trying to do is you're trying to map it to design characteristics. It might cover all of them, it might only cover a few of them. So obviously highly available exhaust recoverability availability and recoverability. Um, and then, yeah, common standardized infrastructure manageability because you want to cut down on management overhead. The design must account for 30% growth of virtual machines and storage performance. So normally this is a good way of mapping it. Um, Jason gave really great examples of how to map it into the exam. Um, but yeah, if you're also looking at doing the exam and preparing for this for like real world designs, then at least for me, this is the method I use. Um, I find it quite beneficial. And then this is really great to then be able to map also AMPRS into the different um, design decision tables. So it's normally a good process. Let's uh, go to the next slide. Yeah, so given the results of the requirements gathering survey, development requirements for the for our conceptual design. So again, I'd say this should be relatively straightforward as you've now spoken to the applicable people and have taken down all the requirements, sure there's no requirement conflict. Uh, requirements always have to be very precise. So there's no misinterpretation. So uh, you don't want to cause scope creep. Scope creep is the cancer of any project. Um, and it forces you to know exactly what the customer requires and have to validate this as correct before you stop the logical design. So not all projects are as clear cut as you do conceptual sign off, logical sign off, physical sign off. But in an ideal world, that's what you want to try and do. At least from the design workshops, you pick up all the requirements, create something like a, a requirements traceability matrix, for example be able to take all of those requirements, find out who said it at what time, and then present it back maybe to certain people, um, to the key stakeholders, and say, this is a requirement, this is why I understood. Um, I'll send you a copy as well, and can you confirm that this is actually applicable? And then that should make sure that there's no scope creep. Um, and I, I really yeah, like for example, that, you, so that you included in, the, in there the, the word develop the requirements, because a lot of people will put things that are not really feasible, like I want 100% uptime, and you really have to work with them and educate them, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that, that is very true. I mean, I, I've, I've been speaking um, to a customer fairly recently who said they want an RPR of zero. So, you know, the, these kinds of things are, you've got to speak to people and say, well, what, realistically, what are you looking for? If somebody comes in and they say availability of five nines, then that's fine, but then what is the impact of that? How much is that going to cost? That's obviously going to impact cost. Better get the checkbook um, going. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, I don't think I'm bringing out anything. Interest, but, you know, it, not, normally whenever I did, like even the, um, the prepping for the VCDX uh, design scenario, you know, you, you're mocking with people. People will say, I want eight nines of availability. And you say, well, you know it's going to cost you a lot. And I, I can make it three, 
But if you don't, if you don't respond to somebody, you're going to be designed to, you know, eight, nine availability, and that's just going to hurt you. So it's, it's a good method of then, yeah, always sanity checking what they're saying. And that's to say, you, you've got to understand what people are saying, come back with conflicts. It's not just requirement conflicts, but yeah, also coming back and, and verifying what this person said, is it realistic? Because people are going to ask for as much as possible, but it's your job, especially in this piece is meant to be for architects, it's your job as an architect to come in and say, in all honesty, this isn't really possible based on whatever reasons. Is it, is it cost? Is it limitations of the software? Is it limitations of the hardware they're making you use? Um, and then, yeah, those decisions can be made. Because you don't want to not raise that, and then you go ahead and you raise them later on. The customer asks, why didn't you tell us in the beginning? Um, so, yeah, it's, it kind of comes in, um, as I say, you, I've got an example, you know, customer wants high availability, it's far too vague, because um, everyone might have an understanding of what availability is, and also, where is that availability? You know, is it availability of a portal? Is it availability of what, you know, where, where's that availability? So you kind of comes in and you would say, customer wants four nines of availability for the front end portal and three nines of availability for consumer workloads outside of scheduled maintenance windows. So you're also going to be careful that if you're doing availability, you're not going to be impacted by scheduled maintenance windows. But if there is maintenance windows, you know, you, you, you obviously, well, you say obviously, I say obviously that Sometimes customers come in and say, well, if there's downtime, that's downtime to my customers. You promised me this amount of availability. But, oh, by the way, we need to shut this down because I want to add something new. So you've always got to clear that up and make it very, very clear that you don't have scope creep, but also people coming back to you asking certain things. Um, and then also, as I say, you would also include RPO and RTO values for these, in my opinion, um, so that the SLA mapping is very clear. And so what you want to come in, explain to them what four nines of availability equates to. Uh, I think my memory says to me right that 3.86 hours of downtime a year. Um, apologies if my memory sleeps on that. But yeah, you know, you normally that's how you're working it out. Um, so yeah, if you change the slides, Jason. So, yeah, categorize business requirement for infrastructure quality to create for the logical design. This is, this is funny enough, a lot of where they kind of went on AMPRS. So this, was a, this is actually an objective from the DCD5 uh, as well. I think they've just left it in here as well as adding to do AMPRS. So infrastructure qualities do come into AMPRS again. Um, so I'm glad this is mentioned. It's for the VCDX. They're very big advocates for mapping requirements to the infrastructure qualities. So um, yeah, so for example, my previous consensus requirement would fall under availability, um, application of PCI SOX hardening guidelines would fall under security, um, and then, yeah, the ability to earn 1,000 developer workloads would be performance. Um, this is also, as I say, very good if you're doing requirements mapping from the conceptual design to the logical design decision and then to the physical. The physical, you're normally not putting in AIPRS. Um, but, yeah, you, you want to be able to apply those in there. So um, it's, not, it's normally pretty good. I, I do a design decision table um, that has 
the infrastructure quality is in there to also show that when you're making a certain design decision, what are you meeting? So, um, I normally work pretty well for that. Yeah, I, I know uh, uh, both from the VCDX standpoint and the DCD, this will be a topic that you will be um, asked on a lot. Um, from, the yeah. DCD's from the DCD's aspect, there will be a lot of take these requirements and map them to availability, manageability, performance, recoverability, and security. So uh, like an example of that would be recoverability would be like SRM, right? Um, performance would be, you know, a performance metric. I need X number of CPU, compute, that sort of stuff. Manageability could be like virtual center, the tools that are involved with that. Availability could be like HA, something like that. So they're, they're going to ask you to, to map this a lot. And I know from the VCDX people, uh, that I've mentored that have um, passed and failed or passed on a second or third attempt. Um, this was a category where I think we improved a lot on when, we, when I was working with them, and, and this, I, I think they would all agree that this was kind of like a big help for them in, in passing the VCDX. That when, they came, when, they, when they got their report back when they, when they failed, this was a section that they really got hit on hard, and we went back and we improved on that mapping, and then they, they scored a lot better. Um, so I... Yeah. I Put a lot of emphasis on this for sure in both programs. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think it's good, and that's probably why they're bringing it into it for here. As I say, that's why I like to do it from a requirements, but then also from like a design decision table, kind of put it in there as well. So it's quite clear. And then if you are doing a design, it's good for customers. Customers like to see that kind of stuff. Um, and then if you're doing a design for the VCDX, I think. Um, if you do a design decision like table like that, then yeah, it, it's going to help you to understand it and learn it better, and also possibly the people reviewing your design see that you know how you've mapped certain things. I think it benefits on both ends. Um, you should go to the next slide. That was it. <laughs> so my, my stuff was actually probably. Probably between the two, myself and Jason, it probably worked out not too bad. Um, Jason covered all a lot of the stuff in the um, in the in the DCD in the exam, um, and then yeah, I, I've kind of looked at it a little bit like Jason did, but also looking at it kind of in a real world way. Of if you were doing this, um, how would you do it, etc. If you, yeah, I was doing exams like the. I keep calling it a DCD. Um, the the what D, the DCV design they call it now. Um, yeah, if you're if you're going to do it, and it's the best way to try and make sure that that design exam is for architect. Then normally a lot of the the policies you're doing this for, and a lot of the objectives does map really well into like an architecture design. Um, so yeah. I think the good and the bad thing about the DCD is the good thing is, especially when it comes to mapping a lot, a lot of the questions and pulling out your requirements and that sorts, those, those, those sorts of things for the design questions and the drag and drop, is the good thing is they're set in stone. You can't go back and ask the customer and things, and things can't creep out on you or scope creep can't happen. Uh, the downside to that is you can't go back to the customer. So like if you, if you read a question and it's ambiguous to you, you can't just go and be like, extrapolate further, like I don't understand. Like you can't say that in the exam, you're kind of just sitting there and you're like, crap. 
Um, so it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword with the DCD. Like, they're going to give you so much information, and you have to work with that information. However, in the real world, yeah. if someone says something and you, you don't have enough information to make a decision on it, you just go back and ask them again or find someone else that has the answers or, or that sort of stuff. So I think a lot of people struggle with that in the DCD, um, where they're just like, they read the question, and they're not quite sure what to do with it, and they're like, I need one more piece of information. If this was a real world, I would just go ask that person. But it's it's kind of a double-edged yeah. good and bad. Um, but no, like you're sure. correct, I'm glad they mapped more of it towards the the VCDX because it is a bit of a, a bit of a hmm. jump prior before. So I, I've opened the yeah, I mean, for for everybody. So if anybody has a question, go ahead and ask it. Yeah, because also I I know for that the, the mapping they they love asking for uh, this. I haven't done the new ones, but I know, I know previous ones that always like you to map, and you mentioned it, Jason, between functional and non-functional. Um, and that, and sometimes that's never that clear, especially when you're trying to map it in the design in the exam. Um, Baz Raymond did a really good blog posting around um, like functional, non-functional uh, risks and constraints, um, and that yeah, I, I would. Highly recommend looking that up. Um, so it's like it's B A S R A Y M A N N. So Baz Raymond, uh, he he wrote up a thing when him him and I were actually kind of preparing for the the DCD five, and yeah, we we were kind of chatting to each other, trying to work out, you know, what what's a clear definition between functional and non-functional because there was all conflicting information. Some people would say if it's a constraint then it's a non-functional. Um, so he, he's done a good explanation of it. People are looking for yeah, a way of defining that. All right. Well I think it I think this this method of having two BCDXs do their do their uh, presentations and then comment on each other's presentations. I think it worked out really well, so I'm really happy with it. <laughs> We're not setting a precedent here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If there's no questions, then we'll end it here. Thank you very much, guys, for your time today, and thank you for th those that attended live. And the recording should be up shortly. Thanks, thanks everyone, and uh, thanks for having us out. And uh, I wish everyone the best of luck. Oh, hold on, I think we have a question. Oh, do we have a question? Yeah. Let's see. No, Pietro just said thank you. All right. Thank you, Pietro. Oh, no worries. Cheers, guys.